0: Hi, I'm Stephen Wilco from Emanuel Lutheran Church in Amherst, Massachusetts, and you are listening to the Two Bald Pastors podcast, connecting real faith with real life. They might not have hair, but they really do care about faith and life. Two Bald Pastors. Welcome to Two Bald Pastors, a podcast about real faith and real life. I'm Jeff Abaldo. And I'm Joe McGarry and we are two follically challenged pastors serving in congregations of the New England Synod in the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America, or as we like to call it, the ELCA. Today we have with us Matthew Martin, who is the Regional Manager for the Northeast for Outreach, Inc. And Matthew is here to talk to us today about uh, solving hunger and the ways that we can participate in doing that. Matthew, welcome to the program. Thank you. So, Matthew, we've known each other for a while,
1: and both Jeff and I love what you are doing with uh, the outreach and feeding people, so can you just tell us a little bit about who you are, what you do, and just give us a glimpse into your personal life?
2: Well, I can tell you that who I am has changed radically in the last five years, and not just professionally, but it's uh, shaped my identity as a pastor. The plan, at least, my plan was to be a career associate which is pretty rare uh, in any church, but in the Lutheran Church, in order to do that, you kind of have to be where all the big churches are. So for the first 15 years in my ministry, I was an associate pastor doing youth work and missions and focusing. I always had one or two other pastors that kind of did the big church stuff, and I did all the outreach, exciting week-long trips with the youth. I did 26 of those. Um, So I kind of saw myself in one view. And then in 2009, my wife had a dream that we were supposed to move to New England, So we called up Margaret Payne and said, uh, my wife had a dream. (laughs) We're supposed to move to New England. And she was like, great, tell me about yourself. And so I kind of laid out the career associate gig. And she's like, well, New England's a whole different deal. We've got a couple hundred churches, but we have about five associate pastors and a few vicars. So maybe the reason you're supposed to be here is to have your own call, like a solo gig. And that's a huge shift, having never thought I'd ever do that before. Right. So trying to reconcile all those missional type things in youth ministry that I did and still keep it under 100 hours a week uh, was a big, big shift and one of those potential burnout phases of my life. And then just found passion for feeding hungry people and went off in that direction. And it's, I do tons of work with churches now, but I'm not the pastor. I'm always the guest preacher or the guest coming in to lead the service project and Um, Now I work with every kind of group you can think of. Since I work for a nonprofit, I've uh, branched out way past uh, churches. The Lutherans still package about half the meals that that I am involved with. I've become the meal packaging guy and not the reverend, Right, right. which totally jacks my whole schedule. And I have more of like a teacher's schedule because we're trying to feed a lot of hungry kids in schools. So most of the meals we pack during the school year. Um, My wife used to be a teacher. She's now an author. So she's gone through a radical shift. Um, uh, but through the whole thing, I would say personally, my, my main thing was to spend a lot of time with my family and live my life purposefully. I just do it very differently now and a totally different schedule and more on my own. I kind of figure out what I can pull off and when I can get breaks. And so it's a whole different deal, but I always tell people I'm a man of limited interests. I like to feed people and spend time with my family. So if I'm no, doing one of those two things, that's about it. That's a it. pretty good,
0: that's a pretty good list. That
2: is a very good Yeah, list. Very important.
0: Could you just tell us a little bit about Outreach, Inc., you know, who, what that organization is, what they do, and how you are connected to it?
2: Yep. So my boss was a businessman. Uh, Floyd actually founded the first plastic recycling business in all of North America. Wow. So he lives in central Iowa in the middle of a cornfield, basically. The It's a town of 200, dead center Iowa. And I had been packaging meals with a buddy of mine who used to own the liquor store in town. And then he bought a bar and grill and then some apartments. And then he got connected to the meal packaging and kind of switched his whole life over to all the whole focus being on that. So when we moved out here after Heidi had the dream, we had one assembly line cause John gave it to me and John connected me with Floyd and Kathy. Uh, Floyd and Kathy retired 12 years ago and I always say made the mistake quote unquote of going on a medical mission trip with some friends who were doctors and nurses. They were going to Tanzania, Kenya. Floyd and Kathy just retired, and they were going to sail the world. And Floyd built the home that they retired to with his own hands. So they said, Floyd, come along, do a couple months of construction, bring Kathy. What a great way to start your retirement, just enjoying Africa. And Kathy had never witnessed starvation before. Mm. I think they s- took the money they were going to spend on the sailboat and bought food and, and uh, barter-traded some crafts with some local women. There was a system there where they had, I don't know if you've ever seen like the Sweetgrass Baskets. They weave them so tight, and they dye them different colors. Yeah, they're they're beautiful. Fantastic. They're awesome. Well, that was there was one item that these women made, and it was or different varieties of that. It was trays or trivets or bowls, but they were all that sweetgrass stuff. Yeah. Um, And they had all that stockpiled, and the, the system had been to barter trade or sell it. And they just there was no way to do that. So Floyd and Kathy literally just primed the pump. So they got the food. The f- people fed their kids. They kept making crafts. They kept trading. I think they've traded 65,000 of those baskets now. And there's 900 women that make 70 different items now. Everything you can think of. And at some of our events that want to have a, a global cause, in addition to the local meal packaging... We sell those. I've probably sold 60 grand worth of that stuff in the last five years. Wow. And it all becomes clean water, nutritious food, medical care, and education for about 200,000 people in Tanzania, Kenya. They now have 900 women that make the stuff. Each of them got a microfinance loan. They own their own business. They provide the stuff. We trade with them. That's why so many of our staff are in Tanzania, Kenya area. They're local people Mm -hmm. that they've hired along the way, in addition to all those women. Well, they had to figure out how to do nutritious food, so they started the meal packaging And for seven years, all they did was one international meal. It was just a bland rice, veggie, protein meal that goes over really well overseas, but not in the States at all. Not at all. (laughs) So we've now developed four domestic meals. One's a variation of that. But Floyd and Kathy saw a need. Ironically, I don't know if you remember back, Jeff, you were within the Synod, but five years ago when we did the Doing What Matters. Yep trying to figure out who our next bishop's going to be, all that type of stuff. That same weekend we did the Doing What Matters, they had a leadership summit and kind of turned a page and said, one out of four American kids is hungry. We need to do domestic meals, too. We need to get some regional managers to help cover this country in addition to the 12 or 13 countries we're giving meals to around the world. Uh, when the Haiti earthquake happened, they gave 50 million meals just to Haiti that year. because 80 or 90% of the buildings in Haiti fell down. And ironically, that earthquake happened the day after we arrived in New England. So we started packing meals almost immediately in Quincy to give to Haiti. So we did that the whole 18 months I was there. Then we announced, go where love leads, serve where love calls. And we were like, check, we've already gone to New England. How can we serve? And I had been thinking about all this youth ministry missions. I'd done a ton of 30-hour famines. Packaged a million meals already. You know, what? how could this be an actual gig? So I just called Floyd up and I said, hey, I need to work for you. What would that look like? And he said, well, we just decided on a regional manager program. We decided on that we're going to launch two domestic meals in a couple months, a mac and cheese and a beans and rice. Um, he said, we just met last weekend. We've got the whole country covered except one place. Where do you live? And I said, South Shore of Boston. He's like, Northeast is where we've never done a meal come to Iowa. <laughs> so we did, and we interviewed, and we came back out and got ready for a ham and asset, and we did our first uh, big event there, and Sanctuary did one a couple months after that, and then it got rolling.
1: That's awesome. Can you talk a little bit more about that transition from being a pastor and then transitioning into doing the meal packaging full-time and how that worked and how you experienced all that?
2: Yeah, I think the probably the biggest insight I had in shifting from being a career associate in my mind and in all I ever did for 15 years was learning that I was what's called an entrepreneurial pastor. So 2% of Lutheran pastors are entrepreneurial, meaning it's kind of like a mix between business-mindedness and pastoring. And unfortunately, about 2% of churches are also along that line of thinking where it would be a really good fit So we figured out after 18 months that the reason we were in New England is for me to do this and not be a pastor. But when you're a pastor and you've got two master's degrees and $100,000 in school loans, you kind of think of that's what you're going to do for the rest of your life.
1: Right, right.
2: And then you realize that, oh, I can do something where I just have to drive a cargo van a lot and lift heavy things. Why did I become a pastor? And I I realized that I needed to have connections. I needed to start somewhere. So other than Harvard got started, when, when the New England Synod got started, um, we actually did a meal packaging event at the Doing What Matters, that assembly, and we're doing another one this year, and we've gotten 11 different synods involved, basically because New England did it first. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I had to start somewhere with some tribe to help get it going, and as you know, this synod is just very much into experimentation, and let's give it a shot and see what happens, and now we've packaged 2.4 million meals as a synod. Wow. Um, we've got a couple synods doing huge events the next couple of months, but they're still going to be up to about a third of what we've done just because we're the type of churches that say, yeah, we'll give that a shot. And we're yeah, the right. type of churches that are used to working with other people to get big things done. So we partner with everyone you can think of because we need to, because you got to go 20 minutes to the next church or an hour sometimes if you're in Maine or two hours to get yep. to the closest Lutheran church. So you just work with all the, what I call the cousins in the faith or the Local service clubs or the schools or whoever you can connect with to do something good for your community. So it's like New England was just like the fertile ground to have something like this happen. Um, and now we've done, after this school year ends, fifth school year will be up to 13.6 million meals. And Lutherans have done six and three quarter million of those meals, almost wow. half. Wow. But we've also been able to expand into 75 other groups because Lutherans are usually the catalyst. Even the Harvard connection was somebody I had. I was their pastor when he lived in Minneapolis. So uh, the connections all initially came through churches, people I knew because I had been out here for 18 months. Right. And it was neat because Margaret made made a pivotal choice for me. When I showed up, I said, hey, I've been in youth ministry my whole life. I know I'm going to be a solo pastor now, but how can you use me on a synod level? And she's like you know what, I'm going to put you with Ross Goodman and another couple of pastors and a bunch of lay people on this Doing What Matters thing. We're just going to pull you off at youth ministry for a while. I was like, wow, okay, sure. I'll <laughs> go for that. You know, we moved here. What the hell? We yeah, that's right. try anything. <laughs> so that's, uh, my identity has completely changed uh, from being a pastor of a congregation. I've got my flock to a much, uh, much bigger. My congregation is now the seven and a quarter million hungry people a day's drive from my house. And I'm trying to shrink my congregation down to zero.
0: Right. Yeah. So besides um, congregations, what are some of the other groups that you partner with?
2: You know, in churches, about 10 or 20% of the people do most of everything. Right. Um, So we've worked with 76 different kinds of groups, and it's every conceivable group you can think of. So big categories would be anybody that has faith of any kind to atheist humanists. Businesses have been really involved. The United Way, hugely involved. Uh, Service clubs lead among them is Rotary because my boss was a Rotarian as a business person when Mm -hmm. when he was in his career. I've worked with schools. Uh, So right now we've had, we're, you know, between 12 and 13 million meals packaged. Lutherans have done 6 million to date right now. Um, And there's a few other groups that have done over a million. So businesses, the United Way, Methodists, Congregationalists, not quite there, but they're really close. Rotary is very close. There's just some types of groups that are just more uh, plugged in, or they're just wired for it. Like Rotary, is, their slogan is service above self. So mm-hmm. even though they're usually people of faith, not necessarily, their thrust is towards service. Atheist humanists are the same way. The main three would be Rotary, United Way, and Lutherans, just as big groups.
1: Nice. So we have a lot of listeners who are part of congregations. Can you explain a little bit about the, the importance, or why should a church or organization consider doing a meal packaging event?
2: Yeah, and the only thing I can say is, just from the experience, so Mark Huber, who started Sanctuary, the church was four months old. There was like 20 people going. I'm not even sure they were up to weekly worship, but they had worshiped on Easter. They had been worshiping on a deck prior to that, uh, and when we made the switch over... So in April, they had their very first church service ever. In June, we were told to go where love leads and serve where love calls. In July, I switched over, and in August, I moved from Quincy to Marshfield and said, hey, Mark, I'll help you start your church if you help me start this meal packaging gig. And it was just a complete experiment, like, is this a Reese's Peanut Butter Cup or not? Like, will this work? Right. right. And we, our first event was on 11-11-11, it was Veterans Day, so the kids had off of school, so we thought we'd have enough volunteers. We do this thing called the Marshfield Fair. So I'm from the Midwest. We're used to a state fair. Everybody from the state comes to fairgrounds. And well, here, they just have like community fairs. So 100,000 people show up, 10,000 at a time, 10 days in a row at the end of the summer to come to Marshfield for the Marshfield Fair. And they have nonprofit booths. You can pop up a thing and say, hey, we're raising money for this. So Sanctuary put up a thing, so we're going to feed some hungry people. They connected with Thrivent. Early on, Thrivent funded one out of every six meals that we did. So we got some of the supplemental money from them. Big, huge goal was to raise enough to feed 11,000 people because we were going with this 11-11-11 theme. And somebody from North Marshfield saw that we were doing this and wrote a check anonymously for $10,000. Wow. Like a a month before the event. So we had gone from needing about 150 people to 350 because we were doing like 50,000 meals. And we just went with it. That whole first six months, we only packaged 200,000 meals. So that 50,000 meals was like a huge chunk of that. Yeah. And we mobilized. We needed 200 more volunteers, and we had a month to get them. So we were shooting for 350 people, and we had 580 people show up.
1: Holy cow. Wow.
2: So everybody got to do it for like a half hour. Everybody got the experience that caught fire. We just had our 11th event. In May, we were able to package another 45,000 meals. So we've done these two or three a year, and now we're up to 329,000 meals packaged from a church that was 20 people strong. My family made it 24, but now there's a couple hundred people that go to that church or are tied into it missionally in some way that want to be doing what Sanctuary does for the community. We started a whole new feeding ministry where people provide hot meals for neighbors that are hungry. It's just been a huge explosion from that initial phase of, hey, let's try this and see if it works. But it's helped grow that church and other organizations like the Rotary that are looking for young members. Unless you're really doing something for the local community, people my age and younger just don't care to be involved because they're just, it's just for the organization. The groups that I work with that do these huge events attract attention to themselves and people want to be a part of what they're doing whether it's a service club or a church, or especially if you're the catalyst for the whole thing. The Atheist Humanists at Harvard are a brilliant example because they literally pull in every faith in Cambridge in that surrounding area. Nine different campuses got involved, and they've been doing events right before Thanksgiving every year, and they are growing as well.
0: Let's say our congregations have not done a food event. What's the process for having you come and, and helping us get that started?
2: So if you want to do it on Sunday... I'm happy to preach for you for free. And, and you just get the Sunday off for like John Corgan in Connecticut. He's retired now, but he always, that was his continuing ed Sunday. They have a vicar. So he said, Dominic, take it over. I'm going to go do my continuing ed thing again. And you can do this with our congregation while I'm gone. And so then I preach. So nobody has to worry about preaching. Really, the simplest of all things is our threefold slogan is donate, volunteer, receive. So if you've got $2,500 dollars you can package 10,000 meals in order to package 10,000 meals for your local food pantries and backpack programs and homeless shelters. You have to have 50 or 60, 65, maybe volunteers for an hour. So some organizations are like, Oh, I can't swing that. You know, a few interact clubs want to get together at to high school. We, it's two hours to do 10,000 meals. if You have 30 people, but you just need volunteers put together. And then once the meals are assembled, they go for free to the local places that are feeding people. So, mm. the pantries actually decide which of our four meals. We now have a, a tomato basil. So, instead of a cheese pack, it's a red sauce pack. It's like a spaghetti goulash kind of meal. We're going to start packaging a breakfast option. So, it'll be an apple, cinnamon, oatmeal. Okay. But when the clients get them, they literally have to get to three or five cups of boiling water. And they're all like Easy Mac. They're all, that's all you have to add is the pack. Once the water boils out, you stir the pack in, you're good to go. So a lot of the events we do, we package the meals, and later that evening or the next morning, the people are eating them in the local community because they just get into the system and they get shot out into the the hands of the people that need them. But, yeah, that's really all it takes is usually one or two people that are psyched about doing something for local hunger and getting some money together, getting some people together. You obviously have have a location to do it, but most churches have a fellowship space that they can throw some tables down, and we bring the equipment and plug in the sealers, and we have at it.
0: Awesome. So
1: part of what we talk about here on the podcast is helping folks connect their faith with their everyday life, and we know that uh, in the midst of life, God is always present with us, but what are some of the ways that you keep active in your faith life and, and continue to grow in your connection with God?
2: Well, when I started to embrace the fact that I actually was an entrepreneurial pastor and I was going to do something businessy, non non-profit-ish, instead of having my own congregation, I noticed that most organizations kind of center their purpose statement as actually three verbs. And I fell into Sanctuary where from the very beginning and still and forevermore, we're going to talk about create, connect, respond. So I'm not real creative, but there's a lot of people within our community that are wicked creative, like Sarah Huber is the lead on that. Mark is a great connector, and we have a bunch of small groups. So I go to Sanctuary, uh, Tal Leary is my small group leader. So he's kind of like my second pastor, so to speak. So I can make the connections I need to with God and God's people to be able to keep doing this thing. And then Respond is just kind of like this wide open, why did God put you on the planet? Let's see if we can get you doing responding to needs in our area and in the world. Um, and so just little ministries started popping up all over the place and my response to god's grace is that i'm going to feed people as long as i've got breath so it became one of dozens of projects at sanctuary that we do we had a community garden pop up we had different and there's a the list goes on of all the different things that people do there we live two miles from the church we actually live in a parsonage but it's for the congregational church in town that houses the food pantry because they like what we do and so they had a parsonage for rent, so we rent that. But this community, Marshfield has just been a a hotbed for people wanting to do this and come out of the woodwork. At Synod Assembly, we're doing the packaging event, and I've actually got Miss Massachusetts contestant coming because she's from Marshfield, and she was just paying attention to what was happening in the community and wants End Hunger to be her thing for this year that she's uh, going after this Miss Massachusetts deal. So she wants to be involved in as many of these package events as she can throughout the Commonwealth. And she just happened to find out about it because Mark and Sarah and the folks at Sanctuary just took this thing head on. So there's a million little connections that happen in and out of the church. But in order for me to keep doing what I do, I have to have a faith community to tie into because I have to get out of bed when my body hurts all the time and do this stuff and drive long distances and connect with a bunch of people that are really different from me, some that are really like me, but just to keep doing it, I have to have a strong faith. I work with a lot of atheist humanists. They don't have faith to speak of, but they have values that they're committed to as deeply as I'm committed to my faith. Yep. And we we do the same stuff together. The response is the same. If you've got compassion for humans or if you have a deep faith in Jesus, you feed people. Right. You right. house people. You do stuff that makes a difference to your local community.
1: Is there a quote, either a scripture piece of scripture or... Uh, Some other inspirational quote that you really connect with that you'd like to share?
2: Yes. My favorite quote of all time, and I have no idea who said it, but those are always the best quotes, is those who say it can't be done are usually interrupted by those who are doing it. (laughs) I
1: like that. I like that.
2: So that's kind of how I've taken my life is if I'm determined enough to, to shoot, maybe it doesn't work at all, but to shoot for something. Any of the naysayers that say, you know what, that's not going to work or good luck with that. After five years and, you know, the last year you fed five million people, they go, oh, yeah, I guess that did work. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thanks for being part of it. And then some of them get on board, you know, after the laggards, they get on board after. It's like when I got my iPhone, somebody had to buy it for me just so I could swipe credit cards. I would never have gotten in on this technology because I was one of those that was – I knew everybody else was going to use it, but it just – I'm just not that kind of person. There's a lot of those kind of people, the laggards, in a lot of churches, in a lot of communities that they just don't want to throw everything they have into it. We left a parsonage and medical benefits to jump over the chasm to try this thing, and now we live in a parsonage and have medical benefits. I mean, it, it all works out, but you sometimes just have to go
0: for it. Definitely. You mentioned uh, that you you see your parish as uh, the seven million people that are hungry in your area, and you're trying to get that down to zero. Can you just share a little bit about you know how you how you think about that, how you strategize about that?
2: This was a shift early on, too. I first started thinking about there were so many Lutherans involved. How could we do this kind of conference by conference? The Hartford area conference is classic. Where they all come together to do God's Work Our Hands projects, and they're always working off of each other as a conference. But most people in the world don't think in terms of a conference. And a bunch of other groups have districts, and there's almost everybody in New England is Catholic, Congregationalists, or Atheists, you know. So they've got, there's tons of those types of people all over everywhere, but our conferences might be a vast area. So I just started thinking about counties. There's hunger in all of the, about 3,000 counties in our country. And if you just take the nine states of the Northeast, there's 300 counties. We do some work in Minnesota as well, because that's where I'm from. But there's my kind of primary focus is about 300 counties. We've now worked in 187 counties. So if you can get a hold of a catalyst of some kind, for me, it's normally been a Lutheran pastor with a congregation that wants to connect with other congregations or, or groups you just kind of say, here's this story. In your county, there's this many hungry people. Um, mm-hmm. Thanks to the Buffett Foundation, every April we get stats, literally, county by county. They also do it by um, congressional district, but I just focus on the counties. Of uh, This is how much hunger there is. I'm working with a rotary district on Long Island right now. In four counties in Long Island and Metro New York, there's a million hungry people. And I can tell them that because I know I can tell them for your particular county, this is how many hungry people there are, this is the percentage, this is how many hungry kids there are, this is the percentage. And the percentages are just sickening in terms of, especially the, the kids. At least I can say one out of five kids is hungry now, but it was one out of four. My congregation in five years has actually shrunk from eight million down to seven and a quarter. But we still have so much hunger in every county in our country. So I just asked people, hey, if you're going to do an event, we've been tracking We've worked with 1,734 groups. I can say these 12 or these 80 groups have done this in your county. So if you're going to do an event and you want to do something with other groups, these guys have already done it. They either came to somebody else's event or they hosted an event. So can you think in terms of how can we feed as many people in this county as we can? Uh, John Longworth is is awesome. Rutland County, Vermont. I rarely have seen it done been done better. He's got his church there, but he's... Wor- reached out to every community group in the entire county. And they've almost doubled the size of their event each year because they just get more partners in the county, more people hear about it. We don't do anything in regards to fundraising or advertising. Everything we do is word of mouth. So if you've got somebody who's really committed to what we're doing, and they just share it with everybody in their county, almost everybody to feed hungry people in the county will drive a little bit to get to wherever the event is held. Sanctuary has probably pulled in 15 different groups from the South Shore. Yeah, um, we've done three hundred twenty nine thousand meals, but we've done almost a million on the South Shore because other groups say, oh, we should we could do that in our community on the other side of the county. And then they just start popping like popcorn. But that's kind of how I've seen it from the beginning. And then I just take the collective and I add it up and I say, yeah, we still have seven and a quarter million younger people. We just did our event number five hundred and fifty five. I give the stats from the globe down to their county. And then I give them one stat that um, Mark Huber shared it with me initially first few months into this, it was Advent. So I'd only been at the church for a handful of months. We had just you know, done a huge packaging event, and he shared a statistic about what the average American family of four spends to celebrate Christmas, whether or not they're Christian on gifts and food and frivolity. And it used to be just ridiculous. And then the recession came, and it got cut in about half, and it's been steadily increasing. But four and a half years ago, He gave a statistic, and I was like, oh, that is unbelievable. Like, How would you ever spend that much money on Christmas? And that's the average. So I went back home, and I did some math and figured out, what if county by county or state by state or region by region, we just did this. Everybody sacrificed part of what they were going to spend on Christmas, and we fed the hungry. What would that take? And it boils down to, no joke, three cents and three seconds of effort. If you've got any food at home and you gave that, So out of your Christmas stash, the average family spends $3,500. You'd have to give one and a half percent of that. It would be $51 if you lived in New England. And your family would have to go to, I think all of us, all three of us have families of four. You'd have to go to a meal packaging event for 19 minutes as a family. That'd be your annual service project. Drop $51 in the basket on your way and spend 19 minutes packaging meals. And if everybody who had food did that, we could feed everybody. There's like almost two million people in New England that need food, and that's it takes three cents in three seconds.
1: Yeah, it's it's amazing how simple it, it can be, and how lucky most of us are, especially those of us who are probably listening to this podcast. How lucky we are to have you know food when we go home at night. And I uh, got some meals. From uh, the United Way here in uh, the greater Gardner area, and brought them to a backpack program here in our community where we are feeding 94th graders every single week during the school year. And we are doing a packaging event with, with Matthew and to, to have these meals ready for the fall, which we, this one packaging event will help us feed these 94 fourth graders every single week the entire school year from this one packaging event. It's going to be an an amazing event, but I was talking to the coordinator of this program and she said that, you know, we want to expand this not only to the fourth graders but to the middle school and high school because she hears stories of these middle school and high school kids who basically are living on their own because their parents are either working when they get home from school and not getting home until the kids are in bed or the parents are just not necessarily around so they have to these kids have to do the grocery shopping they have to cook their food if they're going to eat and it just blows my mind that there are uh that that that's happening in in my community and and uh it's an important thing to go and to find ways to combat the hunger issues in, in every community and it like you said matthew it's really really simple and not necessarily needing hundreds of thousands of dollars from every single person
2: Yeah, and your area is a great example. There's probably only two or three other pockets in our whole, everything that we've ever done in five years that have been more engaged than the North Central Mass United Way. And they just started connecting with their local pantries and they're saying, hey, we're going to produce this uh, mac and cheese and beans and rice for you. The meals are good nutritionally for two years. So if you have space in your food pantry, just put this back there as kind of emergency. Thing. When you run out of food, you can at least have something to hand out because these meals are going to be good, and you got to boil water to make them. And they've, in the last five years, have seen those products. The clients are asking for them. The Rotary in Hull, Massachusetts, worked with the nutritionists come up with a recipe book. So other items you'd get at the pantry with the, the meals, different ways to dress them up. So 20 pages of recipes um, for the three lunch-dinner meals that we have right now. And it just went over really well. So now the clients are asking for our meals first because they're 12-year-old kids that have to boil the water and feed their siblings right. while their parents work. Right. Uh, my brother always cooked all our meals. I have a brother that's three years older than me because my folks were divorced and my mom was always at work. So she was home when we were at school, and she waitressed evenings and weekends, and we had to eat. We were always poor. Uh, I was homeless in college for three months. So I get how the people who get the meals, how, what their lives are like. Um, right now, one out of every two kids in our country at some point in their childhood is going to be on SNAP benefits. We used to call them food stamps. So they're, they're going to be coming in and out of household. Things are going to be going really well for a little bit, and then they're going to be on SNAP. Half of the kids in America? That's crazy. Um, we just did our event in Sanctuary. That's amazing. Um, yeah. Somerville Mass got some meals in every one of their elementary schools. It's 50, 60, or 70% of their kids are hungry. The national average is 21%. Wow. So we, some pockets, are just they just need the food. So now the United Way has 20-plus pantries that put in orders, and they're just trying to keep up with the demand, getting businesses and churches and rotaries to sponsor the events. I package meals to them almost every month. Um, their, one business, a hardware store in the area, wanted to do 100,000 meals in the fall because the Boston Bruins just did 100,000 meals last fall. So they want to break the record. Of the most meals ever packaged at one event in Massachusetts, it it just gets contagious because you know you're feeding hungry kids, and there's a lot more than ninety four kids in your community in your county certainly that are hungry. Oh, there's that, yeah, that, there's tens of thousands. So other right, groups could right. do the same thing to feed their hundred kids.
1: Right, right. That and,
2: are struggling,
1: and that's just a that's just a fourth grade that's identified. Yeah, um, you know, in that area, <laughs> in, in in one school. So yep. there are many, many other kids in our area, and and, uh, and hearing stories, it, it just breaks my heart, and, and and I want to be able to find ways to to be able to reach out and help them, and and thankful that we're now getting, you know, we're hosting at our church this package event through the Haywood Hospital and the United Way and the Gardner Rotary, and it's it's going to be an amazing. Hopefully, you know just be, just to help us do, do more and more of this, to reach out to more and more of those who are hungry.
2: And that's what has to happen. You just mentioned four different groups. It was a church, it was a service club, it was a business, and a united way. If yep. every single person said, I'm going to adopt our local school, I'm going to just ask in our elementary school how many hungry kids there are, and I'm going to get those four types of groups together and we're going to package enough meals to feed these kids for months or the whole school year. That would be brilliant if everybody did yeah. just that. We have uh, the Rotary and Hull. They hand every kid fifty percent of the kids in their community are hungry, so they hand every kid anytime there's a school break. Memorial Day's coming up, summer's coming up. We have a week off in February, a week off in April. They hand every one of those kids a little sack full of food, all the different kind of meals we make, so they've got something to eat that week right. or that long weekend. Yep. Um, in the northern states of New England, there's a program called End Sixty Eight because there's 68 hours from Friday after school till Monday morning. And a lot of kids might not really have anything nutritious to eat. Right. Every single week for 68 hours. And then, hey, it's Memorial Day. We can add 24 hours to that yeah. for this week. Great. That's a fantastic long weekend if you're going to go to the Cape. But if you're going to go home and there's going to be no food there, that's not so much fun.
1: Matthew, what you are doing is is phenomenal, and we thank you for coming on the podcast to, to talk about that. Is there anything that you wanted to... Uh, mentioned before we wrap up here?
2: Um, Just the the main way to get connected to us, uh, everything we do is grassroots. So we um, developed a Facebook page. So I tell everybody, every event we go to, facebook.com, and then in in a little search box, just type in End Hunger N-E. And the N-E stands for New England or Northeast. And you'll find our page. And we literally post a picture of every event that we ever do. So you can see what other groups, which five groups I worked with last week how many meals they did for which county. On that page, there's, uh, when you click on website, instead of listing the national website, I listed, it's a YouTube link of an interview that was just done when we were in South Attleboro, Mass, uh, working with, there it was so neat because all the service clubs in the areas came together. So it was Rotary, Lions, Elks, doing a project together. And it's a a great five-minute deal just to understand kind of what we're up to Um, If you're also on the Facebook page and you just click on watch video, you'll see a little three-minute deal of, in the simplest terms, how to get involved in what we're doing. And everybody has different spheres of influence. So if you happen to be part of a church, fantastic. But think outside the box from there and think about what other groups you're a part of. We work with a lot of businesses that do a day of caring kind of thing, either through a United Way or on their own. Um, We work with tons of schools, different organizations in your community that you might already be a member of other than a church and you can basically get everybody in your life that you're connected to that cares about hungry people get all those groups in a in a together on one page and say hey we want to feed the kids in our area and this is how we are going to do it talk to your local pantries and say hey we've got four options we can make these meals for you for free it's literally the least expensive most nutritious meal the folks who get it have ever eaten and it's a ton of fun, actually, to put the meals together. So just start the conversation with folks in your area. Learn. Most people have no idea how many hungry kids there are in their area. Um, if you need to know for your county, I can let you know raw numbers. But it's, to get your head around the three cents and three seconds deal, to yeah, understand that you really amazing. can make a huge impact on, in your community. But just start the conversation. Find out what's already going on in your community and which of the pantries and backpack programs and homeless shelters you can give the meals to. I can guarantee once they get them, they're gonna want them again. So if you're gonna get involved, be ready to do a second annual event because those local pantries are gonna want the meals again.
0: When I was uh, down in New Canaan, we had, uh, there was a local group, uh, Pura Vida, I think. They helped organize a, a meal packaging event at the high school and it was one of those, every group there was did it together and it really was just a lot of fun. It was really, mm-hmm a great time. I mean, not just our church people who got a lot out of it for obvious reasons, but just, uh, you know, it was cool to seeing other people from town and uh, everybody coming together around an amazing, amazing feat. So thanks, Matthew, so much for what you're doing.
2: Yeah. And the more diversity you can bring into an event, the better. Um, we have an event at uh, Merrimack College every February, and they only ran three lines. They only had 36 people in the room, but they had 12 groups there. Yeah, and they were all fair. wicked diverse. So three people each took an assembly line and got together with a bunch of people from their community that were totally different from them and had conversations and fed a bunch of people in the process. Um, so, yeah, the more different kind of people you can pull in, the more exciting the events are because you do get to to connect with your community a little bit more. It's not just about your church, although right. some churches do it and it's just their church and they just want to bond as a congregation, but it, there's so much potential for who else you could connect with and who could really be a huge advocate. Lisa Anderson is a great story. Uh, radio station owner <laughs> happened to come to one of her packing events, then joined her church, and now he does a radiothon for them every year for their. Oh, that's great! Event.
1: Wow, nice.
2: So you, you never know what connections you're gonna make too if you just are out there for the sake of your community.
1: Great. Well, thank you again, and. I hope all of you who are listening uh, take a moment to check out uh, uh, and connect with Matthew in one, one way or another, either through the Facebook page or through his website and, and to watch that video that he mentioned er- as well because it's a, it's a great video and, and you'll learn a lot about all the things that he is doing and how you can be involved. And if you want to connect with uh, Jeff and I as well, you can also go to Facebook to connect with us there or go to our website, twobaldpastures.com and we are here to help you connect your faith with your life. Once again, my name is Joe McGarry. And I'm Jefferson Ibaldo. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you again next week. Take care. Be
0: blessed.
2: They Bye might now.
0: Not have hair, but they really do care about faith and life. Two bald pastors.
1: You know, we're also free flowing, you know, if anything comes up or if we want to expand upon something or go in a different direction, you know, we're cool with that. So what
0: <laughs> about technology and why it fails us sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Let me redo that last sentence.